Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, uh, welcoming welcoming in my regular co-pilot. That's why this thing flies so smoothly when he's on board. Austin Ward, welcome back to the Tim May Podcast, my man. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And, uh, you know, I was going to say we're going to keep it quick, but I got a couple of guests on my on a, my podcast this week are going to augment our usual uh, sterling uh, offerings. And uh, one of them is Albert Breer from the Monday Morning Quarterback, SI.com. He's a friend of mine, longtime friend of mine. He's a graduate of Ohio State, but just getting his take on where the Buckeyes might be going in the draft and why and what he sees as a possible upset, you know, in the draft, a guy that could be uh, flying up the draft boards and maybe somebody's flying down the draft boards other than Buckeyes. We'll get into that. And then Eric Prisbell from uh, Owen from on3.com, you know, really, really is on top of the NIL, the name, image, and likeness stuff that's going on. And it's just exploding. Uh, that's really become the driving force uh, uh, in this global warming that is, uh, that is college football, major college sports, but college football in particular, just how it's driving the machine now, how people have found out that, Austin, as you and I talked about before we started here, Things you couldn't do even a year ago in terms of NCAA rules, et cetera. Wow, you're just getting away with murder now, right? Well, it's amazing that all these programs uh, magically knew how to do this as soon as it started. Wow. Yeah. I mean, well, talk about great cutting-edge adjustment. It's almost yeah. like we've been planning for this for 50 years in college football or even longer, depending on, uh, you know, I, I once read uh, – a book about Oklahoma football and a slush fund in the uh, Bud Wilkinson's desk drawer. I'll I mean, say the fifties, man. Yeah, let's let's not pretend like all of this is new. It's just that it's all uh, uh, in the daylight and not frowned upon. Remember that famous famous line I had with you one time. I've used it with a lot of people, not just you. Don't feel super special, but I said, you know, if they would just pull back the covers and let everybody see what was going on 15, 20 years ago, fifty years ago. There wouldn't be this clamor, you know, that's uh, going on now. I mean, it is it is quite amazing, as you said, amazing in quotes, how all of these big time programs have adjusted and gotten on with their life in terms of uh, of melding, uh, recruiting, portal and name, image and likeness into making their place even more attractive. I agree with you. That's, you know, I don't want to <laughs> argue with any straw man, but like when I see People say, oh, it's out of control and college football has changed so much and I'll never watch it or enjoy it the same way. I mean, the, the rules, forget about cheating or not cheating or handshakes for players that are have some nice cash inside. I mean, just set all that aside. The rules have changed dramatically for college football every 10 to 15 years, whether that was conference alignment or television revenue or scholarship reductions and, and all like you know, the way the college football playoff works in the old bowl system. I mean, it changes frequently. 
yeah. in the way that the way that you remember first loving college football is different than the way it was when I started covering it. And the same way for anyone born 10 years after me or 10 years after you, like the, the things that still make college football great are, yeah, name, image, and likeness is a new thing for us to talk about, a good thing for players, transfer portal. I mean, think about roster management. That's always been part of college football. Like you don't just you, – you never got to magically stay for five years if you weren't able to contribute or if you were unhappy. I mean, yes, things have changed, and it's probably more complicated than ever. Yeah. But the stuff that once September rolls around – the tradition and the pageantry and the competition and the conferences, like all that stuff, national title race and the Heisman, it, it all goes out the window once you actually start in September. And that's the part that, you know, I, it, we at least have something different to talk about in the off season. I like football because I like football, the football part, you know, all the other stuff is just, uh, it's just been part of the major arms race. It's been going on. Like you said, Basically, it's been going on since they started recruiting, you know, I mean, in some form or fashion, you know, why would you pick this school over that school, you know, well, because they've got better ivy on their walls. Okay. But uh, anyway, we're going to get to that uh, in a little while. I want to get to my conversation with Albert Breer, who, uh, like I said, uh, Ohio State alumnus um, and basically has been doing the Monday morning quarterback uh, gig now for quite a while. Uh, for SI.com, just his take on the Buckeyes who are he sees going in the NFL draft coming up this weekend. Actually, well, what, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. But I guess it feels like the weekend, right? But but the bottom yeah. line is uh, just, you know, it'll be our weekend for sure. But just, you know, where you see some of these guys going. And, yes, I ask him that that question I've been asked a million times. Uh, all right, Tim, you've, you've been around these guys. You can take one guy and they're both available, who do you take first, Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave? My big answer is I probably take Garrett Wilson and then trade up and get immediately get Chris Olave with the next pick, only because that covers it. Real quickly, where do you go? And give me a quick answer to this one, Austin, before we get to Albert Breer's answer. If I was the general manager for a roster of a team that is already playoff caliber. Uh, you're okay. I can't. I mean, it doesn't. There's no – you can't – I know, just, I know, exactly. <laughs> it, it doesn't work that way, you know? I, I mean, know. I think – Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm not yelling at you. I mean, it's not – I mean, I've been asked about it as frequently as you, and I think that those – I think that the highest long-term ceiling is Garrett Wilson. If you have the patience for that, then you will take him early, and like early, early, in the top – not just the top ten, but earlier than that. Okay. And if you are a contender with enough ammunition to be able to get to the 10 to 15 range and your playmaker at wide receiver away right now, then you take Chris Olave. And if you have to devote additional resources to do so, feel free. I just, it's not as simple as who is better than the other, because I just think in the, if, if you have to have help right now, then you would take Chris Olave. And if you have some time to wait, then you take Garrett Wilson. Like that's you can't yeah. go wrong with either one. And that's what, but the bottom line is is whether you're sitting in that, you know, that too. I want to tell you something. When I become a head coach someday and I make him offensive coordinator, uh, we gotta work on that two-minute offense, man. We gotta we gotta pare it down. You got me? You got me? But anyway, uh-huh. hey, let's get to my conversation with Albert Breer. Take a few minutes. 
<laughs> we'll come back exactly for that one play. <laughs> we'll come back and uh, we'll chop up a few more things before we get my uh, to my conversation with Eric Prisbell. But first, here's my conversation with Albert Breer. Wow, it's a it's a pleasure to welcome back to the Tim May Podcast one of my favorite people out there in the world, Albert Breer of the uh, SportsIllustrated.com, SI.com, Monday Morning Quarterback Fame. Albert Breer, welcome back, my man. Oh, it's always a pleasure to come back with uh, back on with a legend there, Tim. I yeah, appreciate yeah. you having me. Well, on. he wasn't in, so I'm, I'm I'm subbing for him today. The the legend <laughs> known as Tim May. Hey, uh, real quick, you know I wanted to have you on, man. Most people do. Uh, the draft is right around the corner here. I wanted you to just touch base. I yep. mean, no, no one is more in tune what's going on in the NFL than you are, Albert. And I just wanted to get a feel for where some of these Buckeyes might be going, what, yep. what the expectations are. And let's just jump right into it, if you don't mind. I mean, you know, obviously, I've been asked this a million times on, on radio shows around the country. Okay, you've got one pick, and it's uh, Garrett Wilson or uh, Chris Olave. Tim May, who are you picking? Albert Breer, who are you picking? Which one of those wide receivers is going first, my man? And if it's me, if it's me, I love Olave. I got a soft spot for him. Like, you know, and I think he just does everything well. Um, you know, I think you're betting on, if you're betting on the kid, he's A plus, like everything you hear, and I'm sure you've heard it. Yeah. Um, everything you hear out of that program is that he, like, he'll be a captain, you know, in his second or third year in the NFL. Um, and you'll like this comparison. He reminds me of Terry Glenn. Like the way he plays, the route running, how smooth he is, his ability smooth. to get downfield, yeah. the the speed. Like he reminds me of Terry Glenn, where I think Garrett is a little bit more. I think Garrett enters the league a little bit more of like a college kid, like a normal kid going to the league. Um, and I, like, again, these are high end comps. So if, if you hit on these comps, like this is a lottery ticket. If Olave becomes Terry Glenn, that's a lottery ticket. Yeah. And if Garrett Wilson becomes DeAndre Hopkins, that's a lottery ticket. I've heard a lot of scouts <clears throat> compare him to CeeDee Lamb. Um, the reason I see Hopkins is I don't know that he plays overly fast, and he's not overly big, but he catches everything. He's got the go-go gadget arms, yeah. um, and he can do things at different levels. of the. He can, he can attack different levels of the defense. Yeah. And so, like, I see some of DeAndre Hopkins' game in, in, in what you're getting from Garrett Wilson. I think ultimately – um, I, like, I think it's sort of a coin flip at this point, as far as who goes first, I, I, if I had a bet right now, I would say it's Garrett, but both of them, I think are in this group of four receivers at the top. And to me, Drake London from USC, Jamison Williams, the Ohio state transfer, um, at Bama yeah. and then Garrett and Chris. And I think all four of those guys probably wind up going in the first half of the first round. Yeah, how queer is it? that three of those guys were in the same room for several I years. I mean, I mean, it's nuts. And then number three, the reason Jameson left is he couldn't beat out those other two guys, you know, yeah. now we'll see where he goes in the draft and stuff. Well, I mean, the real reason is because they had to get Jackson Smith and Jigba on yeah. the field. Right. Oh, yeah. like, and so he was going to have to go into a rotation. And, yeah. and that's what I heard guys. at least yeah. was that they were moving Garrett outside. And so the rotation was going to be Garrett and Chris and, and JMO. And like, they were going to, because, Jackson is such a natural slot. They had to, they felt like they had to do that. Yeah. And JMO left. I mean, people, it's funny. People say to me, it's like, like, how did he never play? Like, they don't realize he started, you know, in 2020. He was just the third guy. So yeah. um, it's amazing the job Heartline's done there. No question. Yeah. Hey, real, real quick though, uh, does it literally come down? I mean, Olavi and Wilson are production wise are almost a push. 
except they are different kind of players. Yeah. I mean, what it literally comes down to who's picking when, right? That uh, I think that, so. Yeah, I mean, I you know I've heard both guys connected to a few different teams. Now, um, you know, I've heard uh, Garrett connected to to Houston, connected to Atlanta. I've heard um, Chris connected to Washington. Yeah, and what's so interesting about that is. I think what it tells you is maybe it's easier to project Garrett into a number one role. Whereas like when Chris is part of a group of receivers, he might be a better fit. Like if you look at Atlanta and Houston, both those teams have a clear need for a number one receiver. Obviously Atlanta having lost um, Calvin Ridley, having traded Julio Jones a year ago and Houston hasn't had a number one since they traded Hopkins. And so like Houston and Atlanta being in on Garrett a little bit makes sense because they need a receiver they can build around. Whereas Washington already has Terry McLaurin has Chris Curtis Samuel has Diami Brown, who they drafted last year. And so while Chris might be a little redundant with what they already have, you could see Chris kind of fitting in the mosaic of what they have. And so I think that's why some teams look at Garrett, maybe a little bit like, like, a little bit of a higher level than Chris is that I think it's easier for NFL teams to envision Chris as a piece in an offense where maybe Garrett, they see as having the potential as being the kind of guy that you could build a receiver room around. Yeah. That's the best way of putting. And of course you never know who's going to pull that trigger. Like if Atlanta, you know, takes, takes Garrett or takes Drake London, uh, the, the, the avalanche begins, right. You, you covered that pretty well in your Monday morning quarterback this, this, this week. And I think like one thing that sort of helped those four guys is that I don't know that there's somebody in the next group that's really jumped up. Yeah. And I think Traylon Burks, the receiver from Arkansas, has kind of fallen out. Um, part of the issue with him is he's big, and I think he's had trouble keeping his weight down. Like I heard he played at 240 at one point last year. You have to have a plan for him, and he didn't run real fast. And so <laughs> I think he's sort of fallen from the first tier to the second tier. Jahan Dodson's helped himself, you know, from Penn State. He's helped himself a little bit, but I don't think he's quite in that top tier either. And so, you know, the way these things work, Tim, is you've got tiers of players. And I think those four guys have sort of defined themselves in the top tier. Now, obviously, with JMO, if your job's on the line, you're probably not taking him because he may not be ready to go until the beginning of November. And so like if, you know, you're say a Carolina, which I don't think they really take a receiver that high anyway, but if you're, you know, a coach or a GM who's fighting for his job security, maybe you wouldn't look at a JMO, but he's going to be really enticing to some people because of what he brings is very, very unique. And if you look over the last few years, there's been a premium on that sort of receiver. Like everybody's looking for their own version of Tyreek Williams or Tyreek Hill, right? So you go back and you see, Hollywood Brown was the first pick, first receiver taken in his draft. You see Henry Ruggs was the first receiver taken in 2020. Last year, Jalen Waddell was the sixth overall pick. So there's been a real premium put on the sort of receiver that Jamison Williams is because of what Tyree Kill has done in Kansas City. And so, and then Drake London, of course, has like the size that that sort of makes him stand out against the rest of the group. So I think those four guys have really defined themselves in that top tier. And I think because... There is a little bit of a drop off to the second group that pushes all four of those guys up a little bit in a draft where there aren't there just aren't a ton of blue chip prospects, if there are any at all. Yeah. By the way, what I really like about Olave and Garrett Wilson is they can they can bend a route at the top end of the route uh, about as well as any receiver I've ever seen. I'm talking about both of them. You know, you can throw the ball. I mean, they can take the route and then bend it back. And you, you have sold one thing, but you're actually throwing another. They are 
excellent at that. And Olavi can get open in a, uh, in and, a closet. I mean, and I'll tell you crazy. what too, like the fact that Terry translated so quickly to the NFL is helping yes. him, you know, like, because I, I think now, you know, Brian Hartline's got a reputation. NFL teams have tried to hire Brian Hartline over the last couple of years. Um, I think you and I both know how lucky Ohio state is to have him. Oh yeah. And um, you know, like I, I think the fact that tra- Terry translated so quickly to the NFL has people looking at Chris and Garrett and saying, coming out of that program, guys are going to have a t- chance to have success really early. Yeah. Hey, listen real quickly, because I told you I wouldn't keep you long. You're about as busy as, uh, as a man can get. Uh, you're about as busy as a uh, as a roofer after a hurricane right now. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Ruckert, uh, Petit Frere, yeah. Nicholas Petit Frere, uh, Thayer Munford, I would think would be the maybe the three next guys off the board. Yeah. Although Tyreek Smith's sneakily defensive end could end up in that group. I'm telling you, there's some yeah. guys very – uh, curious about him. Just give me just quick takes on where you kind of think those guys kind of fit. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily what team they're going to, but I think yeah. I think Rucker is like in this like cluster of tight ends. Like there are a bunch of good tight ends, not a great tight end. There probably won't be one in the first round, but I think Rucker's kind of in this group of tight ends um, with the Trey McBrides of the world, where you know I think those guys are going to kind of come off somewhere between the second and fourth round, and it's going to be sort of dependent on what you're what what you like. Yeah, and I think what I what's great about Ruckert is he's a very natural receiver. They didn't throw him the ball a lot, so there could be a lot of room to grow, and you could do more with him than what was done at, at Ohio State. Like I said to you before, it sort of reminds me of Jake Ballard coming out that way. Yeah, and he's got a reputation for being really tough, which tells you he's going to be a willing blocker and develop in the running game, and could wind up being a much better player in the pros than he was as a collegian. Um, Petit Ferrer, I think, goes somewhere in day two. Um, and he's, I, I think, probably going to fall somewhere maybe late two, early three, that range. Look, like tackles always will come off. The guys who have as much experience, starting experience as Petit Frere does and at different positions like Petit Frere does have a lot of value. Yeah. Um, and so I think he goes somewhere in day two. Um, and then after that, I, you know, I think Sarah Munford's probably a day three pick. Um, I don't know how much he helped himself by coming back to school. And Tyreek Smith is another one, I think a little bit like I just described Ruckert, where you're still sort of betting on the come with him, that there could be a little bit more. And he plays a premium position, you know? And so I think somebody's going to look at him athletically and say, as much as Larry Johnson got out of him, he had some injury issues in college. So probably there's a little bit of room to grow there. So I think all four of those guys probably get drafted. I'd say Mumford, and um, Mumford and, and and Smith are probably day three picks. And I'll tell you this, like once you get down into that range, it sort of becomes anybody's guess. One thing I've learned covering the draft all of these years is there'll be guys that you think going in are going to be fourth round picks that wind up being seventh round picks guys that you think are going to be sixth round picks that wind up being fourth round picks. Yeah. Day three is really a lot more of a crap shoot than the first three rounds. Yeah. I always tell these guys, you know, it's, it's, you know, when I've given advice, it's like, it's, it's not – you don't have to be the most popular guy. You just want one team to think you're the greatest guy. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like – it's not like they're they're well, drafting and, and, in order of thing. how good you are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the thing is like that's – I think that's a mistake people make is they think there's a consensus beyond like the top 50 guys. Like once yeah. you get outside of like the second round – I, I guarantee you, you'll you'll go into different build. You, if you had a look at like what the draft board looked at different buildings, it would be look completely different from one place to the other, because what you're talking about after you get out of that, like there are far fewer guys who fit every scheme who can do everything you want, and so right. 
once you get into the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, it becomes way more about how this player fits this team. And I mean, I'm telling you, Tim, a lot of the best teams have very small draft boards. You know, like New England always had a really small draft board. Indianapolis, which has been great drafting the last few years, has a very small draft board. Um, you know, because the idea is you shrink it and shrink it and shrink it. All the Shanahan guys, they all have small draft boards because they have very specific things they're looking for. Yeah. And so once you get outside of like the top 50, 60 players, now you're talking about only certain guys fitting what you want to do, which again is why I think there's so much anywhere beyond anywhere outside of the first two rounds, first three rounds, there are huge variables on where guys might land. Uh, Ohio state spring, uh, spring day, Ohio state's pro day. Yeah. Master Teague, the third jumped out at everybody. Great 40. Yep. When he had his shirt off. Oh my goodness. Mr. <laughs> you know, Mr. Universe, you know, et cetera. Is he intriguing to you? I mean, I mean, obviously yeah. he got banged up off and on last year. There have sure. been times where he's been extremely effective. He's a good blocker in the in the backfield, et cetera. He can give you that – he could be that second or third back, I think, on a team that could really, you know, help whatever. Sure. But what, what is your take on him? Yeah, I, like I think he's going to be a guy who's going to intrigue teams because the athletic testing numbers often tell people that a guy can have a role on special teams. Yeah. And, you know, I, again, like somebody in the position Master Teague's in is going to have to make it in the NFL that way. That's going to be his ticket to sticking in the NFL. And, you know, I mean, in a lot of cases, special teams come down to and your ability to play special teams in the league comes down to size and speed yeah. and, and just raw athletic ability, you know, um, and yeah. part of it, obviously, is toughness and want to and all of that. Um, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, if uh, a team is looking at a guy like a Master Teague and they see a physical running style and then they see his 40 time and they see how he's built they'll say, you know what, like that guy can play on special teams for us. And so I think like he's the sort of guy who, I mean, forget about what he can do offensively because I don't think that's really a factor um, in where he winds up going. I think teams are going to like look at him and say, maybe he can be a developmental running back for us. But we see him as a guy who character checks out, he's built a certain way, can probably athletically find a home for us somewhere on special teams. Yeah, he has to be a guy that can go in there and beat on people. I mean, for, a mo yeah. for you know, when he's at a running back. And, you know, he got banged up uh, quite a bit while he was at Ohio State, so we'll see where yeah. that goes. Real quick, I, I promise not to keep you. I know I've said it three times. I've wasted time just saying that. Uh, who's going to be – who do you think on draft day, maybe not even the first day, but who's a guy that could just rock it could, could just catch everybody by surprise from this draft overall. I'm not talking about Ohio State players, but who's a guy you've got your you've got your eye on that uh, maybe yeah. the maybe isn't getting a lot of buzz, and a lot of times that's a good thing for a guy because somebody's yeah. keeping him secret. I mean, there are a few that like I I think are like the NFL is a little higher on um, than people realize. Charles Cross, the Mississippi State tackles one. Um, I've talked to people who think he's the best player in the entire draft. Um, now there's questions there because he played for Mike Leach, and that offense is. A projection, you know, like, like when you're talking about offensive linemen to, to the NFL. Yes. Um, so, like, I, you know, I think that there's a little bit of like PTSD from Andre Dillard coming out of that offense and, and, and washing out with the Eagles. But like Charles Cross, like apparently his tape, and I'm not going to pretend I have studied it, but talking to people who have, um, is tapes pristine and athletically, he's got everything you want. And so I think he goes somewhere in the top six picks, like either to the Giants or to Carolina. Um, you know, Jahan Dotson is another one I know all your audience is probably really familiar with, who I think has done really well for himself over the last few months and, you know, has a chance to go in the bottom of the first round. 
Um, and then, you know, like the one that I've sort of been on that I think has helped himself too. Um, as a guy, people aren't talking as much about from the Georgia defense is this guy, Lewis seen on um, the safety who, uh, yeah. um, you know, I've had more scouts say his tape is so much fun to watch. Cause he just kills people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and takes people's heads off. And so, you know, I think that there's been this perception that after Kyle Hamilton, the Daxton Hill from Michigan might be the second safety. I think there's a good chance it winds up being Lewis seen because I think there's a lot of upside with seen. I think with the problem with Daxton Hill is a lot of scouts went in expecting to see this versatile player. And when they really broke down the tape, because you see him play nickel, right? Like, and then it's like, Oh, well, he's a combo player. Like what a lot of scouts found was he's just the nickel at Michigan and he wasn't doing a whole lot else. And so, yeah. you know, there's some, something to build with athletically with him, but the question is, why wasn't he doing more within the Michigan defense? Whereas with scene, I think you see a lot of athletic upside and they were asking him to do a lot of things at Georgia. And so like, those would be the three guys that I sort of think the league might be a little higher on than the general public is Charles cross at the top of the first round. And then maybe Jahan Dotson and Lewis seen sneaking in the bottom of the first round. Yeah, I like Jahan Dotson. I've always liked him. I think, you yeah. know, uh, I think he's just like one of these guys that's just a good player. Yeah. And like, I think people thought like, oh, well, will he test athletically the way that you want him to? Then he runs four, four, one at the combine, yeah. you know? So like, I think he's one of these guys where it's like a lot of people liked him, but were worried. Is he ordinary athletically? And he's proven to be a little bit more than that. Yeah. And, you know, like Chris Olavia was a 4 4 flat. You know, some people had yeah. in the four. People were really nervous there. Uh, uh, who's a name that could plummet that people that that's getting a lot of buzz right now? I mean, I know I'm putting you on the spot a little yeah. bit there. I but, mean, uh, but- Burks is one. I mean, like Traylon Burks is one. Just, I think teams are having tough, a tough time placing him. Um, yeah. You know, I think he could fall out of the first round. I think, you know, initially at the beginning of the process, he was probably seen as being you know, up there with Drake London and Chris Olave and Jamison Williams and, and Garrett Wilson. And I don't know that teams view them that way anymore. Yeah. I, I think the Packers could take them. Um, you know, Matt LaFleur obviously comes from the Shanahan tree. So maybe they could do some Debo Samuel type stuff with him. But I think NFL teams are having a little bit harder time projecting him. Um, and he could wind up sliding a little bit. And I feel badly saying it, but David Ajabo is another one. You know, I, I think that there's a ton of athletic potential there. But the Achilles and the timing of it's tough. And it's one of these things, you know, like where it happened in March. And so, like, if you are, again, like a, a, a coach or a GM who has any question about his job security at all, you're talking about redshirting the guy, you know, and yeah. that's a tough injury to come back from for, for a pass rusher. And so his story is so awesome, too. Like, you know, his parents coming over to America and all the different stuff that went into it. And I think he has a he has the ceiling to be a really good NFL player. Um, but, but I think the fact that, you know, if you're a team drafting him, you're going to have to wait for it a little bit, probably hurts him too. Hey, last thing, uh, by the way, you're wearing your Ohio state, the little uh, hoodie there. Uh, yes. Yeah, no, I'm a hoodie like that. <laughs> I think, I think people, you know, people who follow my podcast had you on last year. We, we, you know, you're quite the Ohio State aficionado, but I digress. Have you gotten over the the game yet, though, by the way? I mean, yeah, uh, no, I haven't. And I uh, still get crap from everybody. I got people in my family who give me crap over it because I got a lot of Michigan people. I gave you bad guidance for that game because I'm my, really my guy Rich Eisen, my, my guy Rich Eisen had, I mean, it's it's amazing, like yeah. how, uh, it's amazing how chesty they've gotten after. Yeah, isn't it amazing? Like, like they reinvented football the up there. Yeah. But they, hey, they finally got one that counts. They finally yeah. got one without an interim coach in there and everything else. And so, uh, yeah, I, uh, 
I hear, I, I do hear that people at the Woody Hayes uh, are pretty, uh, pretty excited for, for late November. Yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. I, I don't yeah. think they're, I, I don't think they're pessimistic about what might happen there. But you know, what's funny. It's funny, Albert, uh, before you go, it's funny how you run into a team just like Alabama in that national championship game the year before that exactly was the antithesis of what you wanted to meet. You know what I mean? A yeah. high, high, big time passing team with a, with, with a couple of guys who could really break it at wide receiver. And they took total advantage. And then Ohio state, the problem with Ohio state last year uh, was physicality and actually linebacker play up front. And boy, Michigan just, just hit, was exactly the right team at the right time to handle yeah. that. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, I mean, it's a credit to Harbaugh because that's the way his best teams in San Francisco and Stanford were built. You oh know? yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, it's just finally, that's, it that's what, that's yeah. what Jim Harbaugh, that's what, I mean, like it, it is though. And I, you know, I, you, when they hired Gaddis, they sort of got away from that a little bit. And I think they got lost and, um, you know, I, it's a credit, look, it's a credit to Harbaugh that like he reeled that back in, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and that they reestablished their identity and, um, you know, we'll see what happens, whether or not he's back in the NFL or in a year or two and what that might mean for the rivalry. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad we're going to get another shot at them. I, uh, I, uh, I, I think, I think, I think, uh, I think, I think Brian day might be a little uncomfortable on third base. I think that, uh, yeah. <laughs> And, and I'll tell you that I'll tell you this. I wouldn't he's got a lead right now. He's leading off. Uh, right I mean, now. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's standing there, but uh, but but when Michigan got to third base, it didn't look so good um, on New Year's Eve. So no, 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 it looked really bad. Hey, last thing, are you? I don't know if excited is the right word because, like I said, the the hoodie yeah. you're wearing, the memorabilia behind you. Ohio State could have the number one player in the draft again next year. I'm talking, you know, it's been a little yeah. while. Uh, C.J. Stroud at his mm-hmm. at the pro day. As many people were buzzing about him as anybody there, yeah. And he was just throwing the ball to his, uh, to his, to his bed, to his buddies, you know, his posse, yep. <laughs> uh, giving them. But uh, just what's your just initial take on what could be coming in the draft with him if he stays healthy, et cetera? I mean, is it yeah. a year from now? Are we talking about the number one pick? What do you I think? I mean, obviously, Ryan Day's got a great, great track record, and the quarterbacks have been productive there. Um, you know, I mean, like on a different level than ever yeah. before. Yes. I'm really going back to, you know, I Dwayne and, and, and his one year as starter in 2018. And we've seen it with three different quarterbacks now. Um, and I mean, I think it's fair to say that he's going to be in a good position to continue this because he's going to be thrown to Jackson, but he's also going to be thrown to Marvin Harrison and Emeka Egbuka. And I know what they've got in that receiver room, you know, yeah. so he's set up to succeed. That said, I, you know, like there are very few where I'm absolutely certain this time of year that we're going to be talking about them the same way the next year. Like Trevor Lawrence was one of those. Like I felt like Justin Herbert was fairly safe that he would still, you know, we'd still be talking about him the same way a year later. Um, Sam Darnold, I think I sort of felt like that when he went back to USC for his last year. Um, there are lots of cases like Spencer Rattler. You know what I mean? Like, yes. so, and I'm not saying that's going to happen to CJ Stroud, but you know, we have seen that before where we talk about a guy a certain way a year ahead of time, and it just doesn't wind up playing out the way you think it will. Um, and so I think CJ's got as good a chance as anybody to play his way into the top five of the draft next year. Um, but, you know, like there's still a lot of variables that can come into play. And, you know, like so much of it, like, like so much of it sort of is all right, like now teams that the teams he's playing have a year of tape on him and 
what does Justin Fry coming in and revamping the running game mean for him and working with new receivers? Like, how does that change things a little bit? So, you know, I think in a lot of ways, he's got great opportunity in front of him to show that he can kind of build on what he, what, what, what he, what he, what he established in his first year as a starter. You know, we've also seen cases of that going the other way. So I have trouble talking definitively about guys, unless again, it's like a, a Trevor Lawrence coming off of the sort of, you know, first two years that Trevor Lawrence had at Clemson. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think CJ's got CJ's as well positioned as any quarterback in the country to, to play his way into the top five next year. Maybe even more so to me, like even more so than Bryce Young at Alabama, just because CJ's built more like an NFL quarterback than Young yeah, is. He really is. And boy, the second half of the Utah game when he couldn't miss, yeah. couldn't afford to miss. I mean, and that's the miss. thing is like you sort of wow. felt like, you sort of felt like watching him, like the light turned on for him. You know what I mean? Like from a toughness standpoint, I think taking the kind of taking the, 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 the beating the way he did at Michigan, you know, it almost feels like a light turned on with him. And I know the coaches have been working on him on leadership and stuff like that. Um, you know, you, 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 you hope, and like, at least I'm hoping, um, you know, based on where I want them to go this year and where I think they're capable of going this year, um, you know, you hope that like that Michigan game was sort of a turning point for him and you kind of see the competitive side of CJ. Cause I think you saw it in the Utah game, you yeah. see the competitive like edge for, 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 for CJ really kind of coming out. So you're on, you're on board too, with the Jim Knowles, uh, 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 I've heard great things restoration about restoration project, yeah. right? I mean, I, I've, I've heard great things about him. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know how long it's gonna, you know, take for everything to sink in and for it to work the way, you know, he hopes it's going to work, but you know, everybody you talk to says like he's a plus, you know, like I talk to NFL scouts about a lot of these guys. And so, um, you know, like I, when, when they made the hire, I, I reached out to a couple of my guys who, um, you know, who worked the Southwest and who, you know, had been through Oklahoma state and got to know them a little bit. And, um, you know, they all had great things to say, I guess his personality is a little different, right? Like he's not yeah. like, you look at him and you think he'd be an old school football coach. And I guess he communicates a little bit differently than that. Like he's yeah. not exactly that guy. Yeah. Um, he's but, interesting. You know, yeah. But brilliant. And like, really, you know, I think, you know, it's sort of like, it's the way you always hear Kyle Shanahan's offense, like talked about, which is like, I like, it's like the defensive counterpoint to that. Cause Kyle Shanahan's offense and what Sean McVay does in LA, those guys preach simple on our players complex for everybody else yes right like and what you're teaching them is simple for them but it looks complicated for everybody else and that's the trick and you, you hear jim Knowles's defense is sort of that way for his players where it's simple for the players who are running it but it's really complicated for someone else to look at exactly albert breer man i, I told you i'd keep you just a short period of time but you just run on and on man i'm just joking <laughs> hey i appreciate you joining the tim may podcast again my man anytime i can help you let me know okay Anytime you got it, Tim. I appreciate it. Man, I always appreciate Albert Breer joining me, man. He had on his Ohio State hoodie. I don't know if you noticed that, uh, uh, Austin, but he had his Ohio State memorabilia behind him. He really likes the Buckeyes. But, yeah, he kind of answered that uh, Wilson Olave chicken egg question the same way we did. You know, if, you, uh, if you're if you looking to build a, a wide receiver core for the future, you take Garrett Wilson. If you've got a pretty good situation going at wide receiver now and you really want to add a guy that can get wide open on almost any play and really augment that that situation you take Chris Olave so that will be the what we'll be watching on uh, Thursday night right yeah I can't wait to see where they land and I Me neither 
I had a conversation uh, with, or I was texting last week with Garrett Wilson's mom and about, you know, the draft process winding down and where, where they see this happening. If they got to feel, uh, you know, wishing them luck and, and all that. And I said, uh, I know you guys don't really care, but man, I hope he doesn't go. Garrett doesn't go to the jets. I yeah. mean, and she just said no comment uh, to that because the checks are going to clear no matter where they go. So right. that's fine. But I just think I, I would really be unfortunate if he gets stuck if Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave with one of these teams that you know the quarterback spot's not right or they don't have a history of developing and maximizing talent. And I, to me, I just look at it like, well, out of the options that I've seen for all the millions of mock drafts, Garrett Wilson to the Jets just seems like the one that would be the worst possible scenario. Yeah, you see like easy. Yeah, you see like a thousand Olave to the Packers mock drafts. You're like, ooh, okay, that yeah. could be cooking right there. Rogers to Olave, that could really work. And then you think about, you know, what if Garrett Wilson winds up in Atlanta and they let him build around that, and then they get Calvin Ridley back and Kyle right. Pitts here now and and they address the quarterback situation later on. Maybe, you know, maybe C.J. Stroud winds up throwing to Garrett Wilson and he, uh, again down the road, you know. But you just think, I just can't come up with a best-case scenario for Zach Wilson to Garrett Wilson with the Jets. I just don't believe in it. And I hope it does. I just hope it doesn't happen. Hey, real quick, uh, this is a yes or no answer. Uh, well, not yes or no, because there, there's no such thing as yes or no. Uh, does Jameson Williams go before one of these two wide receivers from Ohio State? My money would be on no. Okay, me too. Uh, and I'm not knocking him. That's not wow, what a receiver room two years ago at Ohio State, right? What a receiver room now. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, no, no, but that no, don't go go there because that then that'll be another 30 minute conversation. <laughs> speaking of that, speaking of that. Let's jump uh, what, what could even enhance it even more when Ohio State really gets its name, image, and likeness thing going. And uh, like like we've talked about before on the show, uh, Austin, uh, Ohio State has gotten kudos for, for getting its act together maybe more quickly than anyone else when it came to getting a handle on name, image, and likeness, how to deal with it, et cetera. Uh, but I've got Eric Prisbell on my, on my podcast now coming up. You know, he's been covering that for on3.com. But, yeah, we're, we're headed into – we're, I think still choppier waters, aren't we? As this thing settles out, yeah. And eventually, I think it'll level. <clears throat> we'll see how long that takes. It depends on because you have you have some programs that really want to disrupt it, you know. And yep. we all know it's not just because I I used to cover it and that I'm familiar with a lot of the people involved down there or that still cover that team. But you know, Tennessee has decided to be uh, ridiculously aggressive and. Yep. Emphasis on the ridiculous part. And that is going to make it, you know, obviously more challenging for everybody to manage and adapt to. I think that stuff, eventually, everyone will recognize uh, a more sound investment strategy and adjust forward. I mean, Ohio State was part of it with a, a huge million-dollar deal for Quinn Ewers in, in that first year, and it didn't work out for, I think, the people that – put some money in and it didn't work out for him at Ohio state. And, you know, that will be one lesson I think of many as people, uh, people, businesses, players, coaches, uh, you know, donors, everybody get more familiar with how all this works and how it should work. 
Yeah. All I know is, man, it's the wild, wild west right now. And uh, I'm going to get into my conversation here with Eric Prisbell. We're going to come back and talk a little bit about that uh, uh, in just a moment. But first, Eric Prisbell from on3.com. Eric Prisbell, welcome to the Tim May podcast, my man. Uh, any Anytime, Tim. It's great to be here. Thank you. Hey, I was blowing smoke about you here before you came on. And, uh, and you know, you're one of those guys I read religiously, pardon the expression, uh, at on3, on3.com, mainly because, you know, you're kind of covering that. You know, everybody knows how people run patterns, catch passes, you know, quarterback development, things like that. But what what really is changing the game in college sports and college football, especially right now, are the name, image, and likeness rights of players. And also, you know, you you're quite the expert on sports wagering and where that thing is going. You know, uh, who knows when all fifty states will have sports wagering legalized. Uh, where you can maybe even do it on your phone while you're sitting in a stadium between plays. You know, who knows where that's going, right? But but it's definitely – the train has left the station on that stuff. But that's why I wanted to have you on my podcast, my man. We can jump into all of it. There's so much. There's never been a more exciting time to cover college sports. And that's what I was so excited to, you know, to jump into when I joined on three from Sports Business Journal. It is nonstop, Tim, yeah. as you know. From an NIL standpoint – to everything else college sports is confronting right now. But NIL really is the game changer of all game changers. Yeah. Let me throw you a curveball here real quick. Uh, it's not really a curveball, more of a fastball high inside. That's a little baseball talk there since baseball season has started, which I had to cover the Cleveland Indians for a few years, home games. And that's why I am not a fan of Major League Baseball because this was back in the 80s when they stunk and so did their stadium. But I digress. Uh, uh C.J. Stroud, right now, as a name, image, and likeness character, what do you what do you figure to be his worth out there? How do you how do you figure a player's worth? You know, you guys at On Three have a great little sliding scale, y'all y'all, but that's available to anyone who's a subscriber to On Three to figure out you know what 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 prospects uh, worth is, maybe even what what current players worth is from an NIL standpoint. But uh, where do you put C.J. Stroud in that realm of things? You know, Tim, he's got to be way up there. I don't know the exact number, but based on our valuation scale and and people can look that up for sure. You know, I, I'd have to say he'd be among the leaders in college football right now. But there's two two elements to that. It's what an athlete can earn if he chooses to. And then what deals does he partake in? And, you know, the second part is tricky because there's a lot of factors at play. How much time do these athletes have? to build their brand, continue to grow it on social media, uh, to engage in deals that involve, you know, charity appearances or meet and greets. And some want to partake in that more than others. Some are more aggressive in building their own brands and cultivating their own businesses. Uh, It takes a lot of time on top of the academic, you know, pursuits that one has on top of the practice requirements and and, competing in your sport. It's a lot to digest. And I think as the NIL era is progressing, that's what we've seen. As I talk to people throughout the industry, you know, it takes a lot of effort to do this. And some at the lower end of the scale say, if, if I need to do this in order to get $800, it's not worth my time. Now, if you want to just, you know, if you're an elite superstar and just can make a few appearances, you know, to get a couple hundred thousand dollars, yes, you're going to do that the faces of the game and CJ is right up there with all of them. 
But, you know, I think that's that's really a factor that's come into play. And we're going to see as we head to year two of college football in the NIL era, what changes. Last year, we had a lot of big deals before the college football season started. And, you know, cars being given as, as part of packages and, you know, endorse this brand and this national brand and this in this commercial. Some of those guys on the field didn't live up to the hype. Yeah. And we know that. You know, so how will that change people's strategies as we enter year two from a brand perspective? Will there be more of a wait and see approach? I, I think there could be just for, for a little bit to see who who really steps forward on the field and has a following. You know, some people yeah. go into the season, other people's develop. But I think that will be one of the factors that we see, you know, in play as we approach, you know, the start of football season in the fall. But this thing, I'm telling you, Tim. It, it evolves, it develops every couple of weeks. There's new storylines. Collectives is the hot thing right now that everybody's talking about, everybody's writing about. Three new ones popped up today that I'm juggling and you know finding information on. So it's it's absolutely nonstop right now. Yeah, you know, it, it, as, as I had Luke Fedlam's a local attorney here in Columbus, but he's a, pretty much an expert on NIL. He's been a he'd been ahead of the game there for several years before the thing ever came, and I've had him on my. Sh- my podcast here several times just talking about it. And he goes, you know, you totally expected in some respects chaos, you know, as the thing first started or big fires. But then, you know, one of the things that one of the perspectives here that, that you had to keep in mind as this thing develops and you touched on a minute ago is you have a lot of people who probably want to get involved with college athletes, you know, for one of another uh, term to get close to them with some of these deals and stuff. But in the, in the final analysis, it has to pay off for their businesses. I mean, or, you know, it you, you have to, if, usually you have to report to somebody. And uh, so you, from this brush fire that started, wasn't really brush fire, it was more like a forest fire. It might become more of a brush fire as the years go on, you know, the, the next couple of years go on when you figure out, well, wait a minute, we're not really getting the bang for the buck from this thing like we thought we were. We got our jollies here by getting involved with college athletes, which, you know, let's face it, college athletes have, you know, had opportunities probably uh, behind, but, you know, below the table for quite a while now, going back to when college, when they first started recruiting, et cetera. But I'm getting off the broken, the the regular path there. The bottom line is you're right. Things have to settle out and it kind of has to have its, find its own level, kind of like water. But the interesting thing here is, and I know, you know, this Eric is you've got the NCAA and the schools and the conferences trying to play catch up on how to get some kind of handle on it after kicking the can down the road for low these many years. And uh, do you see any restrictions coming? Because as I point out to people, when they start talking about, well, the, when the NCAA does this or Ohio State does that or the Big Ten does that, uh, well, I, I go, you got to understand, these are laws now that give these guys the right to go out and earn money. It's not an NCAA rule, you know, and uh, uh, that's where – that's where it's really interesting. But do you see them trying to get a more of a handle on things and what is, quote, legal and what is not legal in terms of uh, college athletic ability or eligibility? It is absolutely fascinating. And you, you hit the nail on the head. I don't think there's any way right now for the NCAA to get a handle on this and in, install more guardrails and you know restrictions and there are plenty of reasons behind that they had their opportunity they created an interim policy last june uh and they basically took a hands-off approach and there's only really two rules you know no pay for play deals 
and no recruiting inducements. You know, what's a recruiting inducement? It all could be a recruiting inducement. And what if you violate one of those rules? Guess what? So what? Who's going who's gonna to enforce anything? There's been no indication, zero, that the NCAA really has an appetite or the ability, whether they have the will or the ability to step into the enforcement arena on NIL matters. Yeah, they made some calls to BYU. They made some calls to Oregon and Miami about those deals. That's a lot different than actually formally investigating deals. I think they wanted people to think for a period of time that we're real serious. We're going to crack down on things right now. Nobody bought it. Nobody I talked to bought it. I, bought, I didn't buy it. Yeah. And they are pleading desperately for some federal intervention to create universal, uh, a universal framework of, of guardrails and laws to offer some type of enforcement in this yeah. area. And I don't see it coming anytime soon. I, I don't think they're equipped to investigate NIL deals because they lack subpoena power. And what it comes down to when you, know, you talk about enforcing NIL deals, it's harder than enforcing regular old-time recruiting scandals. And they had enough of a problem doing that. Yeah. But now you're trying to prove intent. What was the intent of this deal? So you're trying to do that without subpoena power. And you need documentation from boosters and collectives. Good luck with that. It's just yeah. not going to happen. The other thing is, if they try to enforce NIL, you know, NIL restrictions with, with certain deals, uh, you know, it will come down to are they limiting compensation for athletes and almost certainly create a vulnerability to further legal challenges. They don't want that. The whole model could, could, could completely collapse. So they're in a tough spot right now. And as a result, everybody knows it. So you have boosters specifically who are taking advantage, pushing the envelope as far as they can, finding loopholes. I can't blame the boosters for doing that. And they're creating collectives, donor-led collectives that are launching by the week now. We have close to 40 on our list that have launched publicly, but there are dozens more, dozens that are in the works, just trying to get off the ground right now. And the most ag aggressive collectives, uh, Tim, are aiming to raise $5 million to $25 million each year to help in, with compensation packages to athletes. Uh, so this, it, it is out of control right now. It is the Wild West. It's yeah. not an exaggeration. It's an arms race that's well underway with no sight, no end in sight right now, yeah. no end in sight. And it's going to continue until some entity can, can put some guardrails around it. Yeah, it's not the Wild West. It's the wild, wild West. <laughs> but uh, sure. no, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, like a, a, I opined this a few times uh, over the last year is the NCAA by just not doing anything, figuring out a way to get players paid without them having to pay them, you know, <laughs> yeah. without schools having to pay them. Uh, but yeah, look out for the morass, you know, you create and uh, like I said, kicking the can down the road. Hey, uh, who's really really caught your eye out there from a school standpoint or school booster standpoint uh, that's, I don't know if it's, it's a term has done it right. Maybe that's not the right term, but has really jumped on this uh, and, and run with it. Who, who give me a couple of schools that you think schools, I mean, the people, you know, mm -hmm. separate the, the wheat from the chaff here, but who, who, who are a couple of schools that have really gotten on board this thing and really, really run with it? I'm going to mention a few in different areas. Uh, one that's jumped out to me personally 
and that's impressed a lot of people in the industry is Ohio State. Yeah, they from a, a, a athletic department standpoint, they've been on the on the ball. They've been ahead of the game, forward thinking, innovative about this entire space from the very start. You know, a couple months ago, I wrote, wrote about their creation of the edge team yeah. where they're putting staff members in place for each of the sports to help with NIL deals for athletes and in some cases facilitate NIL deals for athletes to help do that because their school policy had been too restrictive. And we, we've seen that across the board. Some school policies were created, uh, you know, a year ago or so. They're too restrictive. They don't need to be that restrictive. You're putting yourself at a competitive disadvantage. The same thing applies to state laws, such as Alabama, Florida, that were enacted a year ago, too restrictive. So now you're seeing states more and more move to repealing those laws or amending them so the athletes in their states and the schools in their states are not at a competitive disadvantage. In terms of, of from a booster standpoint, I'd have to say the folks – you know, supporting the University of Texas yeah. because I wrote about it several months ago. Uh, I think they have four collectives right now involved or affiliated with the University of Texas. You got big money. I'm in Dallas. You got big money, deep pocketed boosters throughout the entire state supporting that team. Whether it could actually translate to success on the field, especially when they go to the SEC, good luck. Yeah, I don't know about that, but yeah. it will put money and compensation into the pockets of those athletes. And the, the last thing, you know, they, they created the collective Horns with Heart that will pay offensive linemen, if you're a scholarship yeah. offensive lineman, a minimum of $50,000 per year. And that kind of set the bar. And other, other schools and boosters at other universities said, we got to compete with this or we're going to be left behind. The other school I'm going to mention is North Carolina. Their athletic director, Bubba Cunningham, Really, real, again, really forward thinking on the whole NIL issue. They've been the leaders in terms of group licensing when the NCAA, NCAA and Mark Emmert said it's not going to take place. It's too tricky, too nuanced. There's no union you know, to help with it all. And they said, watch this. And they've been able to do it in, in uh, working with the Bandar group. Uh, to create group licensing. So they've been the leaders on that front. So I'd say Texas from a booster standpoint, Ohio State from an entire athletic department strategy standpoint, and then North Carolina, you know, leading with Bubba Cunningham. Yeah. You know, and, and as I'll point out, you know, uh, when you look around the country, the ones that are really getting after or have done it, it's it's pretty much the blue bloods or the, the rich getting richer to a certain extent, right? I mean, that, they were always champing at the bit to get more, to have, you know, people were champing at the bit to get more involved legally with their, with their sports programs. And now they can do it, right? It's uh, the balance isn't going to change from a power standpoint, is it? No, no, it's going to, the gap is going to widen. Yeah. And almost certainly in every respect, and I've, I've put a lot of thought into this and talked to a lot of people about this. Yeah. I mean, the top of the top, the bluest of the blue bloods, you know, they're supported by the deep, deepest pocketed boosters, you know, USC, Texas, Ohio state, Alabama, you know, we, we, we know who they are yeah. and they're going to widen that gap over everybody else. And they're competing among with with one another. And it, it's just going to continue to escalate literally with no end in sight. Just today, Clemson announced a new collective, which includes the creation, the construction of a 12,000 seat, uh, a 12,000 foot square foot building just for NIL, NIL support, NIL education, a photo studio. I mean, so they, they've set the bar on that. 
you know, Texas boosters kind of set the bar with what they could start to, you know, compensate athletes with annually, you know, and you, ju- you just have seen it. Other schools are thinking, boosters are thinking, how can we top this? Yeah. And now Clemson has topped it with the, with the creation of the, of the NIL building. So it's going to continue. And again, you know, where, where will it stop? Yeah. I just, you know, just because I know what you're talking about there and it just intrigues me because there was this whole buildings race, this arms race going on on who can build the greatest palace for players to work out in, you know, who's got the best water wall, who's got the best sliding board. He's got the, he's got the best golf simulators, et cetera. But I, I was talking about this uh, earlier a couple months ago and now it's going, He's kind of like flipping on, well, I don't care about all that. You know, what can you do for me from an NIL standpoint? What are your NIL facilities? Do you see it really going that far? I mean, Eric, I mean, is it, is it, everything's changing, right? Just when you think the train's going this way, it's kind of curving that away. Absolutely. And, you know, then it's going to be, okay, the, the athletic departments, there, there's, there's two things at play with the athletic departments. There's this fear of missing out yeah. element where athletic departments, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, are, are, are saying, you know, we don't have a, you know, we don't have a ambitious, aggressive collective. How are we going to compete with the likes of Texas, you know, USC, whatever it may be. And there's some anxiety growing in, in how they can create one. You know, the other question is when boosters donate so much to collectives, is that taking away money that otherwise would go to, you know, athletic departments and traditional athletic department pursuits. And that could be the case. I think it's too early to tell there right now we're in this kind of euphoric, you know, phase where everybody's, you know, dishing out money and everybody's excited and trying to create a recruiting advantage for your particular university. Where's that going to be in two years? Are people going to go, go back to contributing, you know, in traditional forms to athletic departments, we got to wait, take a wait and see approach on that one. But, the latest thing that I wrote about, you know, just a week or two ago, we've seen collectives. We know what collectives do. The newest term is directives and directives. Let me back up. Collectives are when you pool from a large group of boosters, yeah, get a lot of money and you're going to disperse it to student athletes. And those boosters don't know where their particular dollars go, what deal it, it you know, compensates who, who's, which athlete, you know, puts money in the pocket of directives are specifically one-to-one transactions between a wealthy booster and a particular star athlete for a particular purpose. I'm going to give you this amount of money to stay in school one more year or to transfer to our school or to sign with our school initially. And it's kind of like the old school recruiting scandals, but now there's no one to enforce it. These are under the table. They're trying to keep a low profile and they typically occur. They have been occurring at, you know, universities where they don't have an aggressive collective. Yeah. But so they need, they need to create an advantage in some way, shape or form. And right now it's, it's with this under the pro under the the radar, low profile directives between uh, the booster and an athlete, a one-to-one transaction. Eric, is, is this a good thing for college athletics? Is this a good thing for college football in particular? A great question. I, you know, I, I have two big concerns. And one is uh, what's in the best interest of the student athlete? I don't begrudge these athletes for one, one second for accepting any type of compensation that heads their way. They should have been able to do it above board for 100 years. Yes. But you, when you sign a contract, you've got to be careful and mindful 
what what you're signing here and you you need proper representation <laughs> this is hard enough to follow for us much less for an 18 year old you know and and families they have a lot on their plate right now they need proper sound rep- representation and you got to be careful when you're signing a contract number 1 most importantly that you're not surrendering your NIL rights in perpetuity you know, to who knows what for how long. And that, yeah. that is the big concern right now. I think they see the dollar signs. They see what they could put in their pockets right now. What are you giving up? Yeah. What are you sacrificing? And that has to be, you know, front and center on their minds. The, the other thing you, you touched upon, Tim, and I completely agree, you know, what's in the best interest of, of college sports overall. Um, and, and you got to be concerned where it's heading and the trend lines right now because it's going to continue to escalate. And, and I, I'm certainly concerned about that. The gap is going to widen between the, the, you know, the blue bloods and everybody else. Yeah. Some group of fives, you know, like SMU right now in my backyard has a lot yeah. of deep pocketed boosters. So they wait, 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 wait. SMU's got a lot of deep pocketed boosters. No, go it's ahead. shocking. It's stunning. It's never, it's, it's never. I grew up in Texas. I grew up in Lufkin there in the, in the sixties and seventies there. And uh, you know, the Pony Express, you know, whatever, go ahead now. I'm sorry, it. I was I know, stunned by that. <laughs> I know, it, it is shocking, absolutely. Go ahead, though. Um, you, know, so the, you know, the gap is going to tend to, you know, continue to widen. And, you know, what's what's fair market value? That's yeah. another question for doing certain NIL activities. And then the counter argument to that is, well, whatever they could get. I mean, what's yeah. fair market value for us in our particular jobs? You know, these are athletes who are on TV when, you know, the NCA is getting a certain amount of money to, you know, for media rights for the NCAA tournament and how much money is being funneled, you know, through the college football playoff. And there's a lot of billions of dollars there. Yeah. So they deserve everything they can get that they have to be careful about what's in their best interest with signing a contract. And I think from an overall industry standpoint, there needs to be some guardrails. They do. There, there, there has to be. And I think there will be in time. <clears throat> what will create those? I think the best case to create those guardrails is to essentially blow up the entire system as we have it, which may be coming down the pike with athletes being deemed potentially as employees of their universities in two to three years, because that will reset the whole game, change everything, you know, but I think that's still a few years away. Yeah. And you're, you know, where are you getting there? You're going there without saying it. you're going basically talking contracts. I mean, one in one form or fashion that you're obligated to me and I'm obligated to you you know, of course, we've got the transfer portal going wide open right now. It's, uh, you know, it's got more uh, gas running through it than the Alaska pipeline. You know what I mean? And uh, guys are just getting in and some of them aren't coming out the other end. You know what I mean? They're uh, they're lost in the in the in the portal. And, you know, it's just to me, it's just it's just so crazy. And the reason one reason I wanted to have you on this week is, you know, the end of this week, Ohio State's got its spring game on April the 16th. But, you know, I think. I think the more important day for some of these athletes may be two days later when their tax returns are due. I think you're getting a, I think you're, uh, I think the thing has been moved back to the 18th uh, because of whatever, but uh, either April 15th or April 18th, you're going to have to be reporting taxes on your NIL deals. And uh, how many are, how many are going to do that? Are guys going to be ineligible because they're in uh, jail? You know what I mean? For not paying their IRS share. I mean, a lot of things are coming around here all, all at once, right? Yes. And it's a lot on anybody's plate, much less if you're 18 to 22 years old. Yeah. And yeah, I think there will, there will be a reckoning, unfortunately, uh, surrounding tax day 
And, you know, I, I sure hope a lot, most of these athletes have disclosed their, you know, transactions with the appropriate uh, entities, uh, certainly to the compliance department as well. Uh, But talking to industry sources, it is a huge concern right now because everybody just kind of run, you know, was running wild with this for nine months. And, you know, at some point there's going to be accountability on a number of levels and, you know, everybody, you know, bet, had better have their, you know, I's dotted and T's crossed. That, that reminds me of one, you know, some of these collectives, these collectives vary to such a degree. It's ridiculous. Some have barely gotten off the ground. They have a website. They, they have very little else. Some are really buttoned up. I think West Virginia is with, with Oliver Luck. I think it's country roads, Oliver Luck helping to run the show there. That's a really good one. But, you know, there, there's some that, they have an office safe with just checks piled up old school checks that they have to disperse to athletes. <clears throat> and you'd think it's 2022. It's not 1985, you know, that, that we, that they would be more sophisticated, more evolved, more buttoned yeah. up, on. but it, 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 some are getting way out ahead of their skis. And, you know, I think there's going to be some accountability across the board. Hey uh, yeah, we could talk about that for another hour because it's crazy. I mean, uh, uh, with with rights come responsibilities, you know what I mean? And uh, and boy, when the federal government comes looking for you, you know, it's not like the NCAA where you can just say, well, I'm going to go to the NFL. Uh, you do have to you do have to answer the summons uh, real quickly before you go, because um, you, you, you've you had some great stuff, too, uh, with your background and stuff, man. You, I'm very impressed, but there's some great stuff, too, about where sports wagering is going right now. That's the other thing that's exploding. I mean, you thought it was pretty big before, but I think Ohio is going to have legalized sports wagering sometime this year, possibly midsummer, et cetera, you know, where, you know, you'll be able to go into probably a casino, uh, the casino right down the road from me here and better Ohio state games, you know, that's that, that weekend and stuff. Uh, but that too is a, another challenge, isn't it for the, well, the status quo is totally gone now, but just how do you wrap your hands your hands around that. Like you talked about, you had a Q and a with a, with a fellow known on three.com uh, last week where, you know, you were talking about how uh, you might be able to sit at your seat in a, in a college stadium one of these days and bet on bet on plays as they're happening, or, or at least bet on what the score is going to be at the end of the quarter, et cetera. And it can be, the odds can be changing just like sitting in a sports book, like at circa, you know, or something in, in Las Vegas or Mandalay Bay and, and doing the same thing. It's, it is crazy to think of the possibilities coming right around the corner, isn't it? It's absolutely incredible, Tim. I, I agree with you. And it fascinates me to no end. I mean, does it do it? Know, does it scare you too, though? Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's, yes. Yes, yeah. it does. I mean, I, I've talked to plenty of people who have who have children who are college age, just legally into adulthood, and they already have gambling problems from sports betting because you know, and and, and somebody uh, well-positioned told me well, there were, there was a reason it was illegal. There was a reason, and this yeah. could get out of control in a hurry, but looking down the pike, I mean, just a few years from now, everybody I've talked to uh, in college sports and the gambling world says there's a strong likelihood that we're going to see a football stadium with a sports book inside that stadium. So on Saturdays you can go watch the game and then mosey over you know, across the concourse to the f- sports book and, you know, play some bets on the, on the late games for that day, parlays, whatever it may be. Uh, it's a whole new world. You know, for so long, you had schools, you had rights holders keeping this distant separation. The NFL, 
Yeah. Yes. NFL particular. Yeah. From the sports betting world, you know, and schools and, and media rights holders, there was a wide gap. Yeah. Now there's this warm embrace. There's just too much money at stake right now. And you can't watch an NFL playoff game, you know, a few months ago without seeing commercial after commercial about, you know, betting operators and, and data and statistics and analytics and all of this. And it's creeping in more and more into the content. Uh, then you have schools, athletic departments now with with uh, with partnerships with sports betting operators, Colorado's one, Maryland. LSU with Caesars and you know it's it's going to continue at the same time you have athletes in in certain locations if it adheres to state law and university policy that are engaging in NIL deals with uh you know sports betting operators it's a very fine line but Drew Timmy at Gonzaga is one of those who who has done that you know in the state of Washington and you know there's a number of questions that arise from those type of deals. And one of them is if you have a school partnership with one betting operator, you know, is this, is the athlete, um, does he have to have an ideal L, L deal with that? You know, will there be a conflict if he pursues one with another betting operator? This is all coming down the pike and it's, it's happening and evolving as we speak. We're in a real early stage of, the, of this. We have 26 states right now, plus the District of Columbia, where sports betting is legalized. It's going to continue to rise. And as it does, you know, these, these, these issues will become you know, more at the forefront of the discussion. And, and I'll be covering the heck out of it, and a lot of people will. But I think it's, it's really fascinating. But it's, it's also there are concerns on the horizon with this, and they'll have to be confronted and dealt with. I was going to say, I mean, how, how do you hope to police it? I mean, how do you hope to keep the element from not that they probably aren't involved already or have been obviously been involved in the past about fixing things or just shading things? How do you hope to ever police that, Eric? I mean, how, how does that how do, I mean, what would be the mechanism where you could do that except for just going on people's word, you know, that they're not involved? You know, everybody, everybody's going to be able to basically be involved except the athletes, you know, <laughs> you know, it's good. You know what I mean? Theoretically, yeah. uh, uh, it's, I don't know. How, how would you, how would you ever police that? I don't know. And you do worry about the, the highly publicized point shaving scandals of the 1950s with college basketball coming more into play. There's just so much money at stake right now yeah. in this. I mean, perhaps the ability to, you know, have athletes, engaged in NIL deals with some restrictions with sports betting operators, you know, may combat that. I mean, there's, there's ample. Well, like Ohio, Ohio has that in their deal that you can't, you know, gambling, right. whatever. Yeah. But go ahead though. Yeah. yeah. I think most do. I, I yeah. do, but, but, you know, that can be adjusted and, and, and these are fluid uh, policies right now and fluid state laws with, with the movement toward amending or even repealing state laws that are deemed too restrictive. And a lot of them are looking at each other, lawmakers, and saying, we put this in a year ago. It's a different landscape now. We don't need to be this restrictive. Let's loosen it up. Yeah. And everybody's looking for recruiting advantages left and right. They're pushing the envelope in every way they can. They're trying to find loopholes. I don't blame them from do it, for doing this. This is a period of time that people are going for it. And they're trying to find any advantage they can. And they'll deal with the repercussions down the road. That's their mentality right now. And there will be a reckoning and guy, you know, guardrails will be put into place, you know, whether it's the sports gambling space or the NIL space. 
but I still think that's a few years away, at least on the NIL front. Yeah, well, don't hold your breath. Hey, last thing I wanted to touch on this minute ago, and I get to it. The Ohio High School Athletic Association is putting it up to a member vote. I think it's early next month on allowing NIL deals for high school athletes, high school age athletes, which, you know, what is that, 14 through 18? Who knows what the age group – my point is, we all know Quinn Ewers left uh, uh, South Lake Carroll because he – the uh, University Interscholastic League of Texas wouldn't budge on letting him have an NIL while he was still in high school, came to Ohio State for a year, got a million-dollar – so-called million dollar deal from somebody got a pickup truck out of it for sure. And then he moved back to Texas is going to Texas. But uh, man, when the NIL goes to the high school level, what is out of whack here? I mean, what, what is, is anything out of whack? I mean, what, what could I, we all know the five stars and four stars out there are more publicized now than ever before, but still a lot of people would have trouble picking him out on the street. You know what I mean? I mean, where do you think this is going? And, you know, how much benefit do you see from it down the road for our, for just your regular high school athlete? You know, I would like to, when I was in high school, get a free hamburgers at Ray's Drive-In on Timberland Drive in Lufkin. You know what I mean? That would their cheeseburgers were to die for. But where do you where do you think this is going in that respect? I yeah, I agree with you. I I I think that every state at some point is going to have to enact an NIL state law that allows to some degree. Yeah. Not be fully, but the, with some restrictions, the elite athletes, athletes in general, to be able to monetize their brand. And it's not going to affect a lot of kids. I, I do not think it will. But the five-star guys, the top of the top guys, absolutely. And right now, if you're a state that does not allow that, you're at a huge disadvantage. I mean, Quinn was, you know, the the pioneer in that respect. Yeah. And, and he packed up and took his mullet and went to Columbus for a year. And certainly monetized his brand before coming back to, you know, my state of Texas here. Uh, I can't believe Texas. You know, they, they, they are so out in front and so much stuff with high school yeah. football. I live in Allen, Texas, where we have a $60 million high school football stadium with a huge video screen. Go yeah. to Katy, Texas. I mean, this is a big deal here. And they didn't have a state law that, you know, allowed for the athletes to monetize their brand. You know, they're going to see more kids leave if they don't get out in front of that. All states will. So I think you need to allow it. And what again, the onus is on the player's family and the athlete to be educated. And it's hard. It's hard for anybody, much less, you know, a kid who's in, in, in the, the fire there dealing with everything and a lot of people coming at them to navigate that world. So there's a lot of responsibility there. And I think it will will shine a brighter light on the need for sound education, sound representation for these top athletes at the high school level to be able to be able to navigate that world. It's a daunting challenge. Yeah, I remember in Lufkin way back in the '40s had to forfeit something because uh, they had a player get a suit of clothes. He he was poor as dirt and had a player get a suit of clothes who could go to an All American banquet or something and. Uh, they had to forfeit some games, and now it's like, well, they'll all be decked out in their own personal styles. Now it's crazy, right? I mean, uh, it is. Hey, last thing before you go though, the the when I, when I had podcasts about this last year about uh, about Quinn Ewers, it was interesting because I talked to a bunch of people down in Texas, and what they were concerned about is if you didn't legalize NIL stuff, you would have these top tier athletes either leaving early for their college of choice or you would have a rise of these club football teams. And I go, well, that would be the beginning of the end because, 
you know, there's a big difference between rooting for South Lake Carroll and rooting for the Jimmy Joe Dragons. You know what I mean? It's like uh, sometimes you can have too much of a good thing and it can ruin the, ruin the pie. Do you, do, you, do you see this as getting ahead of that, at least that aspect of club teams taking over like they have a, to a certain extent in high school basketball? You know, they're, they play a lot more games at club level than they do uh, in high school. But, uh, but what do you think about that? Well, I think so highly about that. I'm writing down it, writing it down right now because that's a story idea that I want to pursue specifically. You're welcome. In the next couple of months, I think you hit it on the head, Tim. And they're going to have to get ahead of that. I mean, you know, I back when I think after Quinn made that decision, I can't remember the timeline. I reached out to so many high school athletic associations, and you know, they were really hesitant to talk. Yeah, I don't think they were educated about a lot of this. I think they were blindsided by it, to be yeah. honest with you. And that's that's on them. They, they need to be up to speed on all of this. But, yeah, kids are going to transfer to states where it's permitted. You know, California was was out in front of this. Uh, or you're going to see the rise of club teams, you know, unauthorized leagues and that's that sort of thing. Like we have a lot on the basketball side. I'm thinking, yeah. you know, I'm thinking of Mikey Williams. And he's almost more a social media influencer. He's a good basketball player, but he's not a phenom in my mind. Yeah. Uh, he's more a social media influencer, but man, he has found a way to monetize his brand. And, you know, I applaud him for doing that, but you know, it, I'm going to reach out to a lot of, you know, States and the high school athletic associations before we get started with, uh, you know, high school football in August or whatever, uh, to get a sense of where are they uh, in their thinking on uh, strategy and strategy on all of these issues because if they don't have a law coming, okay, fine, but they better have a plan and they yeah. better have a strategy for how to address this, or they're going to see the top kids, you know, pack up and walk out the door to states where it is permitted. Hey, Eric Prisbell, Prisbell thank you for joining the Tim May podcast. We could talk for another four hours on this. I know people probably get bored by it, but I'm not because it's like, to me, it's just so interesting right now because college, like you said, college athletic departments, you know, what is their responsibility to a kid? who screwed up and didn't file his taxes, you know, or will they, will that be the now new requirement is, you know, we help you file your taxes on time. You know, I mean, all these, all these things you can, uh, you can throw out there of, of how you can take this thing. I just, uh, I just think it's, boy, what a cutting edge moment this is. Just when you think things are, are crazy in college athletics and stuff, you throw all these new monkey wrenches into it. It's nuts, isn't it? It's completely nuts, and it's so exciting. There's never been a more exciting time to cover college sports. I love it. We don't know where it's going to be, but I can guarantee you it's going to be in a different place yeah. two months from now because it continues to evolve and change. Yeah. Well, Eric Prisbell, thanks for joining the Tim May Podcast, my man. Tim, thanks so much. I really enjoyed this. I appreciate it. Austin, like like we said before, man, we're headed into – well, not headed. We're in the middle of – Yeah, we're in the thick of it. We're in the middle of the muck so to speak, trying to get back to shore. I'm not sure shore is even there anymore when it comes to where major college football specifically is headed in this name, name, image, and likeness. Boy, that's so easy for me to say. The NIL era coupled with the transfer portal, a wide open transfer portal. We'll see if they can get a grip, at least on the transfer portal aspect of things, the NCAA. But, you know, they really – the NCAA and major college sports had this coming. Uh, agreed. I mean, just the way they kept kicking. I know I keep using that term, kicking the can down the road. They had this coming, didn't they? And now they're getting it right in the face. That's that's what happens when you refuse to act. Yeah. Um, 
with something that everyone could see coming for miles away. And I, you know, I think it was, you know, around 2001 or 2002, the like the first time they sort of brought it to the table, like, should we allow some form of compensation for what would become name, image and name, image and likeness? And they were like, ah, no, we have to continue to protect amateurism. I mean, that ship, you talk about being lost at sea, it had sailed for so long. And, you know, I get that there was a long time where people embraced that idea and like, that's what really matters to college football. And that's sort of what, you know, I was hinting at early on as we started the podcast, like, you know, none of that truly, truly existed. Now teams would occasionally flagrantly violate those rules and be punished for that. Yeah. Some of them, especially as it relates to Ohio state in 2000, you know, 10, 11, that it was already well past the point of what was the harm here? So yeah. that shift had been going on for a long, long time. And it's just hard to even, as we sit here now, uh, at least for me, like to imagine a, an argument against it. I just, I don't, the rules, the lack of rules, I should say, are a problem right now. Yeah. And that nobody is managing any of this and it has the ability to get wildly out of control. And there, you know, there, there has to be some sort of way to set this aside with transfer portal time periods. And, and, yeah, and you know, and I and I don't know. I wouldn't even pretend to know the solution, but I know that I didn't have 25 years to work on it the way the NCAA did, to, and did absolutely nothing, and hoped yeah. that the federal government or that conferences or somebody else would bail them out by making rules for them and this is what what happens when you refuse to pay attention to problems that have been going on for a long long time or if not problems situations that they could enhance for the betterment of the student athletes which is what it was always supposed to be about all along yep well i mean it is what it is at this point and uh uh I really don't know how you get a handle on it anymore, except for like Jack Swarbrick, you know, the Notre Dame uh, uh, athletic, longtime athletic director in an interview over the weekend or last week was talking about, you know, he just sees a big, a big shift coming um, in the 2030 sometime of basically power five more than anything else. And I'm just paraphrasing a little bit what he said, but power five kind of becoming its own thing. But see, as I keep pointing out to people, when you do that, you still have to have rules on board. You know, I mean, you know, they I don't understand why the colleges can't get together and get a more firm grip. For example, you can you can you can have a situation where players can transfer, but it, it doesn't have to be you can quit a team in like October and transfer. You you can have rules about when when and where you can actually do things and when this portal is open and when this portal is closed and uh and it whether it would stop the tampering that you know is going on you know putting up a, a help wanted ad hey we need to take a top take the top off the defense wide receiver which alabama put out there as we well know at the end of the year last year jameson williams jumped at it even though he had played against alabama you know uh a little while earlier i mean that's just an example i mean i'm, I'm not saying they contacted him but when you put a help wanted sign out there and then players see it and by hook or crook, they end up, uh, you know, moving on to that. But then you have all these other guys jumping into the portal thinking there is, uh, like I said, there's a 
a shore on the other side. There is no shore for some of these guys. Some of these guys are not going to play college football again. It's crazy, isn't it? And when was like you referenced, you know, Jeff, Jack Swarbrick and all these ominous yeah. warnings about 2030. Like yeah. when the was 30s? Yeah. yeah. But when was the first time some administrator anywhere, not just here, talked to you on or off the record and said, there's going to be super conferences. There's going to be a breakaway. There yeah. can't be all these rules. Like, when was the first time? Because I bet that it was before the year 2000. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and, the, and the big problem was they didn't like the idea that rules were being voted on by 100, well, now it's 129, 130 members of Division One who aren't equal at all. Half of them aren't. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's like you're being held down by the lower class. Well, it's not the lower class. It's the 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 least fortunate, meaning uh, they don't have the wherewithal to to. They didn't have the wherewithal to pay players. They didn't have the big TV contracts. You know, the MAC, all these other conferences. But in the eyes of the NCAA, uh, Ohio is is equal to Ohio State. You know, and we've all known for a long time, long, long, long time, that has not been the case, right? Right, and that's what. I think they use this as their as a crutch and as part of their unwillingness to act. Well, we know that there's going to be a time, but it's going to be in ten years. Yeah, we're going to break away. <laughs> Everyone will break away, and television deals expire. It's like a negotiating ploy. Yeah, or a threat. like people are going to take away your college football the way you love it. It's coming if we don't, you know, if we don't take some serious steps here. I mean, I know. My career started at a covering a team that's not even remotely on Ohio State's level, and this was before Tennessee, and that's at Wyoming. And I know that there were administrators back then in the early 2000s that were worried this was going to happen imminently. Yeah. Oh, the SEC and the Big Ten, they make too much money. You know, these, these 60 schools are going to break away. They're different you know, than we are, and their priorities are different, and they make way more money. We can't compete on a level footing. That's been going on my entire career. That's why, of course, like, like reading this, you know, great. It's it's cool that it's on the record, but we've all been hearing this for as long as we've covered college sports. That that's it's inevitable. That's going to happen, and they're too yeah. they're too terrified to act on anything. That's why I don't I don't think that'll actually ever happen. I don't either. You know what? If it does. 30, 40 years later, maybe 20 years later, maybe 10 years later after that, you'll have the haves and the have less in that group. And they'll, you know what I mean? They'll, and the have less will be trying to like hold down the haves. Uh, yeah. The haves have always existed in major college sports. You agree, right? I mean, the blue bloods are pretty much still the blue bloods. That's not going to change. It's kind of like, you know, uh, uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, you know? I mean, you know, there's some people, some people rule and some people don't. And, and this is what there is no tried. There is no true answer to fixing this, except I do think that there are there are the Power Five conferences which are definitely playing by a different set of uh, of resources than the others. But even among the Power Five, the difference between the Big Ten and the SEC, and but between them and like the ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big Twelve especially with Oklahoma and Texas leaving the big 12 in two years is stark in some respects. Agreed. 
<laughs> yeah, and it and that's going to exacerbate yes the issue for others. But you know, it's yeah. but that's sort of the it's almost comical to look at it. Like, did did Rutgers getting into the Big Ten elevate them? And is it going to make them a powerhouse if they get part of this next wave and television deal and and they get a hundred million per year from Fox and is that going to transform them into a big 10 powerhouse? No, because all the other disadvantages will still exist. They will probably be in a better position to grow and become the best version of themselves compared to Kansas state. And that's, that's cool. Great for Rutgers, but it's not going to become Ohio state. It's not going to make them Michigan. It's not going to make them Wisconsin. Like it's, you know, so that part of it as try as you want. I think everybody, or there's a temptation occasionally to say you want a balanced playing field and, you know, make it as even as possible across all of college football. That, that reality is a, can never be achieved. It's a pipe dream. Yeah. And yes, it will be worse for the Pac-12, whatever's left of the Big 12. The ACC is probably it should have never put it itself in the position where it's in, where that revenue is going to be so far behind when they have some of the benefits that should allow them to be competitive, especially with their recruiting footprint. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, the bottom 10 teams in Power 5 football have the ability to beat the top 10 consistently. They yeah. can't. Yeah. That's why that ex- why that's in place has been proven over time in every different model that we've talked about at the start of the show throughout. When every 10 years the rules change, guess who stays at the top? The yeah. people who really care about college football and the college football programs who are in recruiting territories with the best players. Like Those things go hand in hand. They won't ever change. The yeah. NFL, you can't – unless you have a draft, unless you have – you know, built-in parity, the way contracts. that and contracts, guess what? That's not possible in college football. And you shouldn't even want it to be. No. I mean, you'd lose all the appeal. Yeah. I say let the name, image, and likeness thing play itself out. Not play itself out, but find, like you said, uh, find sea level. Because right now, is that not at sea level? Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, the transfer portal, get a handle on that. Uh, but you're right. I mean, but, you know, you, you, you look around the country, Alabama, you know, at, between uh, Gene Stallings and basically between Bear Bryant and Gene Stallings and then between Gene Stallings and Nick Saban, Alabama went through this little drift, yeah. basically a pretty good, pretty good uh, a drift and uh, finally found itself under Nick Saban. You wonder about Alabama post Nick Saban, you know, where it heads. This idea that everybody's always going to be at the top of where they are. The only program that's pretty much stayed fairly stable through this whole time, uh, through the 60s, through the late 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, I'll name them all. But uh, <laughs> with a few blip dips, really, has been Ohio State, you know. And, uh, and, you know, I think that's – if you look at the record books, you can see that. Now, has Ohio State won all the national championships? It could during that time? No, but they've been in the running for about as many as anybody else. I think you agree with me on that. So – you know, but you're right. I mean, the thing that you're going to take Alabama and Ohio State and Texas, Texas is going to bounce back eventually. They'll find the right coach. We'll see if they've even found the right quarterback yet, right? <laughs> but uh, they'll find the right – I mean, the Blue Bloods will 
will persevere. They will continue to hold sway. If Tennessee could buy a roster, yeah, beat Alabama, it would have already done so. Yeah, I promise you that that would have already happened. Well, bring back Phil Fulmer. That's all I got to say on that. Yeah, and guess guess what? Yeah, that's a that's a whole. Yeah, should have said that, Tim. We're going to keep it short. This I know time. we are keeping it short. That's it. We'll we'll get back to your one of the greatest splinters in your foot. Uh, you know, which was coverage of Tennessee and find out what really how the sausage is made. That's like that, that when you were talking about a while ago. Now we're now people are seeing how the sausage is actually made, and do they will they still have a taste for major college football like five years from now? I believe they will. You know, and. Uh, uh, it's just going to be an interesting time. But even the NFL has shown, even when you get parity and everybody gets the same shot and there's a salary cap and stuff, you still have the dominant teams and the teams that are still floundering out there, the, the programs floundering out there trying to find themselves, right? I mean, there's no guarantee. Nope. You, I mean, you have to – that's what makes the NFL so competitive and challenging, and it's a good week for that when you talk about the draft and proper evaluation. It's all – you know, about this alignment, the fact that the Patriots have still been able to position themselves uh, in a post Tom Brady world is, is one of the best tributes that you can have to Belichick. And I know yep. that that's another chicken or the egg argument because of the rise, you know, simultaneously as they became that dynasty. But, you know, you have to everybody has to be properly aligned and you see organizations that have floundered around and, and are constantly starting anew and you just just talked to Urban Meyer about some of that you did on this podcast uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. About, you know, the challenges of doing that in Jacksonville. I mean. Hey, but now Jacksonville's got his act together. I don't know if you've been reading the bulletins. Go ahead now. Yeah, we'll see about that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's exp- – it's that's with the guardrails in place at the next level where it's not easy. And it becomes exponentially more difficult when you're trying to fit 130 – college football programs into one shoe, you know, one, yeah, one shoe. And in one wild West era with no map, you're just plopped down in the middle uh, of the grand Canyon and you're trying to figure a way out. I mean, Ohio state already has blueprints in place, Alabama, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, USC, you know, you don't always, sometimes you get lost a little bit on the trail. You need to find another one to get out, but, you know, it, some of these programs have never been in that situation. And yeah, there, and there's a reason for that. And name, image, and likeness won't fix it all for them. I remember one of the most popular arguments, not to go on another too long of a tangent, was this is really going to help these programs like Northwestern in Chicago, who there'd be so much money available, yeah. billboards and television. This is going to be magic. It's going to revolutionize programs in big cities. No, it isn't, because guess what else is in Chicago? The Bulls and the Bears and the Blackhawks and the Cubs and the White Sox. Yeah. Where are you going to spend your money? Like, the reason that Alabama and Ohio State are this level, because they are the most important team. Yeah. And you know, especially in Columbus, which is one of the largest cities in the country. Northwestern, like, Northwestern, Chicago's Big Ten team, but Northwestern's not even in Chicago. <laughs> Chicago's Big Ten team is Ohio State. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Take Ohio State and uh, 
Michigan and who? Penn State, maybe Wisconsin. You can throw Iowa in there too, out of the Big Ten. And what you got? I bet all of them. I bet all of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, hey, wow, this airplane's been flying all over the sky tonight, man. We didn't even get to the the, the, the real destination that I proposed a week ago where we were going to talk about the offensive line at Ohio State. And Ryan Day, Ryan Day ruined the fact at the end of spring that they didn't get they didn't get the depth developed there on the offensive line like they wanted to. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about that next week. I promise people. What do you, what do you think about that? I, I'm sorry that I, I was all over the map. No, you weren't all over the map. You were all over the sky. At least you were <laughs> flying is the way I look at it. But, uh, but uh, Austin, once again, thanks for joining me. I'm not sure we solved anything. We didn't even solve who is going to be taken first in the draft, uh, Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson. Um, I think we all – I think the consensus is Garrett Wilson, just based on yeah. who's going to be drafting earlier, is a team that probably needs a Garrett Wilson more than it needs a Chris Olave. But I, I see Chris Olave as a lifer. I mean, barring injury – in the NFL, I think he could be catching passes for a long time. And the same thing goes with Garrett Wilson. Um, so we'll see where that goes. And by the way, real quick, my upset pick for a guy that's going to get picked maybe sooner than people think from Ohio State. And uh, I'm not sure what people really think. I think it could be, and I want you to get your take, uh, just a quick one. I think it could be Tyreek Smith, defensive end, who was hobbled by injuries his entire stay at Ohio State. But, boy, when he's ready to go like he was in that pro day at Ohio State, he turned some heads with his quickness, his flash, his ability to come off the edge and be, be in the quarterback's face in three steps. That's that's still rare ability, agreed? Yeah, I wouldn't argue with your pick at all. Uh, I think my if I'm putting money in for a nice investment on third Ohio State player off the board, uh, Tyreek Smith is a good one. And I would uh, my pick there personally – just so that we don't share the same one and I can cash out. By the uh, way, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily saying he's going to be the third guy off the board. Oh, I, that's okay, just okay. a guy that I thought could surprise people. Go ahead, though. I misunderstood then. I, no, it's I okay, man. I think Thayer Munford is, is going to get a little bit more traction by the end of the week because of the ability to play uh, both guard or tackle. Let me interrupt you there. Don't you think it – because Albert Greer talked about that, as you heard. I think it hindered him, though, in some – the people who are making all of these assessments, like you know, the media and stuff, because they saw him at tackle one year and guard the next, and he kind of became a little bit of a forgotten man. But I think NFL scouts have seen what you've seen, which is an all-around ability there. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that we see this play out a lot because I don't think he's going to be a first-round pick. And, uh, I mean, I'm not covering new ground there, but maybe not even a second-round pick. And in that scenario, if teams were looking at, you, that high-end capital investment, you'd say, well, I might be a little bit concerned about that. But if you get through the first two rounds and and if Thayer Munford had left a year ago, he would definitely have been off the board, uh, I think, before the end of the second round. In this yeah. scenario, if he doesn't, when you get to the third round, you say, well, this guy has started at both tackle and guard, multi-multi-year starter, all these reps under his belt, and can play both, and you have – you don't have a college roster, an 85 scholarship at the NFL level. You carry seven, eight offensive linemen. You need somebody who can play both. And yeah. so I think once you get to that point, you say, boy, I like the fact that Thayer Munford played both guard and tackle. First round pick, you say, this guy better be my left tackle. Third round, you say, I like that he can do four yeah. positions and help me out. And I think that'll work in his favor 
on uh, Friday or early Saturday. We'll see. Well, we'll be back next week. We're going to we'll, we'll rehash what we just said and, uh, and then deny that we said some things probably and uh, and then really gloat over other stuff we said. But, uh, boy, <clears throat> Albert Breer, I appreciate you from Monday Morning Quarterback Fame, SI.com. Eric Prisbell, I appreciate you from On3.com, one of the great guys I've met uh, so far dealing with uh, the On3.com folks. And, uh, of course, Austin Ward, uh, you know, Basically showing his diversity is one of the one minute he's leading that Letterman 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 Live Letterman Row Live is that what you call it from uh, from Roosters yeah. next minute he's uh, he's a he's the main pilot there he's the co-pilot with me he's getting in all kinds of vehicles but Austin Ward thank you very much for joining me again my man I just like to talk it seems like yes it does we both like to do that like I said that at our first meeting when we talked about me joining Letterman Row after I retired but. Uh, right. It is what it is at this point. It's history. It's over 100 and going on 160 podcasts. And I appreciate That's you. Been a, you've been a part of most of them. And uh, maybe, there'll be a, maybe there'll be a few more before I run out of gas. What do you think? I love it. Let's do it. All right. Well, until next week, ladies and gentlemen, for Austin Ward, this is Tim May. We will see you then. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.